Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Well Matt, we're back. You weren't sure if it was going to happen, were you? You don't sound confident there. Admit, uh, you always have a little bit of slight doubt, I suppose. You're never quite sure. You can never back uh, everything 100% in life, can we? But congratulations, you're uh, being reinstalled back as the mayor again. Well, thank which you is very wonderful. Much. Well, you know, I had a driving ambition because you don't want to be stuck one run off a half century or one run off a century. I know where this is going. This is exactly what I was about to say. I would hate to have finished on 49. I'll That's let you right. explain further. Well, we were on 49 podcasts That's last right. week. That was our 49th. And so, gee, it'd be a bit like Shane Moore, wouldn't it, getting out on 99, oh, off a no ball. Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought I'd better make sure I get back in as mayor just so we can continue on at least do our 50th one now, which I'm pretty impressed with. Hey, this is today is our 50th. We should break out a bit of cake and uh, share it amongst people and this sort of stuff as well. So, well, something like that. Well done on getting the mayor's job again and well done on our 50th podcast. So yeah. great job. Yeah, so no. talk us through, mate. Uh, the other night, Thursday night, uh, how did it all go anyway? What was the voting? So we had... Two people standing for both the mayor's position and the deputy mayor's position. Right. And it's interesting because you can do the mayor election, which has got to be done in September at the mid-term each council term. Now, this is a bit different, this one, because Mm -hmm. we've got four years as the council term normally. Yes. This term is two years and nine months approximately. So we had one year and nine months approximately for the first term, right. and then this middle term will be one year. So it had to be in September, and that's across the state. The 93 councils across the state that have their election as a mayoral election amongst the councillors had have to do it in September, had right. to do it in this September. Yep. Of those, obviously, you, you go through the process, and so the process is interesting. So I start off the meeting, and I'm chairing the meeting, as you normally do. Yes. But then it comes to the election, obviously – it would be a little bit biased if you ran the election yourself. Mm-hmm. So I've got to hand over to the CEO who then goes through that process, takes nominations. Yep. So Councillor Josh Black nominated, I nominated obviously. Just the two? Just the two, yep. yep. And you have to be nominated by a couple of councillors and so that process goes through. But then one of the interesting things is that you can choose the method that you use to elect someone. Okay. What's you can a- choose... I was just sort of thinking, do you want to do like liturgical dancing sort of thing or you do those sort of things? <laughs> maybe, maybe we should think about that. It's probably a little bit more technical than that. But you've got three options. Three options, you, okay. You can do it by open ballot. So right. that's one where you just basically put your hands up. And that seems like, I think anyway, the best way to do it, but not everyone does that way. And I've been involved in other ways of doing it because the second way to do it is where you do it by secret ballot. Right. And the secret ballot, as the name suggests, you yep. basically just write down names on a piece of paper or you have names you, you tick on a piece of paper there hmm. and then they're counted so no one knows who votes for who. So it's an open ballot hands up? Is that open the ballot hands up like yep. every other vote of council. Okay. And so the third option is preferential. So that's secret oh, ballot again right. but preferential. Now that's How do you get preferential with two? Well you don't and that's irrelevant when you've only got yeah, two. That's right. So then it comes down to a decision and, and let me say that they're all, all methods of voting are preferential. So for example if you had three people stand, mm. you have a vote, whether it be open ballot or by secret ballot on paper. You do a vote and say, for example, with 10 councillors, let's say the first vote is 4-4-2. Four, four, mm-hmm. The person that gets two votes is eliminated, then you do another vote. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the vote goes from there. Yep. So if you do it via open ballot or open show of hands, or if you do it by secret ballot, 
it's a multi-round affair if you've got more than two people standing. Mm. If you do it by preferential, it's only one round and you've got a number and then the preferential process has got to be counted. You get mm. the same result because preferential is essentially the same as you get in the other two methods. Mm. One thing that surprised me one time back very early in my council career, we had a vote and there were three people standing for a particular position and you think, well, it's obvious that someone's going to win the vote if in the first round someone gets more votes. So, for example, there were 11 councillors back in those days. Mm. So let's say, for example, the vote was 6-3-3. Three, three. It wouldn't have been that because it would have had a draw over a hat. So let's say it was 6-4-1. Yep. So the person with one gets eliminated, and in the back of your mind you're thinking, well, that person got six. Mm. They'll obviously get it. But then the second round of voting might be different. And that's exactly what happened mm. in that particular vote. I don't remember when it was. It might have been 2004 for deputy mayor. Right. But I remember a bit surprised. The whole thing changed up. That when the second vote went through, it was 8-3. Yeah, right. And I've gone, hold on, there was only one person who got eliminated. Why wouldn't that vote have gone? What happened there? And mm. I talked to councillors afterwards and they said, well, the first round they were just eliminating one and then the second round they were doing their real vote, whatever. Yeah, Sounds right. like playing silly games to me. Yeah, but absolutely. Whatever. So... Vote comes and we've got the magic white bucket there as well. The CEO shows everyone the magic yeah, white bucket yeah. in case there's a tie. And you've got film canisters. So good old-fashioned 35mm really? film. The plastic canisters, you know, it's yeah, something yeah. that doesn't define the local but government act. They put the votes in those. Well, you've got to put the names in those if you're having to do a draw out of the bucket. Mm. So the first part, though, is because you've got more than one standing, yeah. the order has to be drawn out of a bucket. Right. So you put the names in, so Murray Wood, the CEO, put the names in the film canisters, put them in the white bucket, it gets shuffled around, only two in there, so probably not a lot of shuffling. <laughs> put your hand in, right. draw one out, yes. and then that's the name that's first on the ballot. Sounds like Survivor. <laughs> it's a bit like that. <laughs> Do you have like a flame sort of thing and they put your flame out put sort of thing in. if you voted out? That's Maybe it. we should introduce that. It's that's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be nerve-wracking having the name out of the hat. And I just think yeah, yeah. there's no other option there, but it just seems like a really bad way to lose election. I mean, mm. with a pope being elected, they obviously just stay in there yeah, and keep going right. until finally they get a winner. And the flame, sort of the smoke comes out from the chimney. There Correct. It is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. With council, though, they say if you don't get a winner, with you get a tie, you've just had the name drawn of that. But mm. you, first of all, eliminate other ones. If you've got more than two, lowest vote gets eliminated, then you get down to when there's only mm. two. Obviously, in this one, we only had two. Mm. So there was Josh and myself. And then you've got, obviously, Josh, a member of the Labor Party. And one of the things that's interesting is the Local Government Act says you cannot make your mind up before you go into a council meeting. So if I'm sitting here talking to you and there's an issue coming up at council next week, I can't say to you... I'm going to vote a certain way. That's against the local government act. That's against the processes that are in place. Mm. The idea is that you can't have heard all the options. You can't have heard all the debate. Mm. There might be things that come to you. So when you're committing yourself early, that's not the correct way to do it. So you can't have those discussions beforehand. It's got to be left to the meeting. And that applies to everything except mayor elections and deputy mayor elections. Okay. You can make your mind up beforehand because yep. another important part is we also can't caucus. So you and I are a member of the ABC party. Mm. And before we go into a council meeting, we're, gonna, we're both going to vote for this particular development. Let's agree to vote for that as members of our party. We're supporting the party. This is the way we're going to vote. That's against the local government. Act. Yeah, right. Okay. But in a mayoral election or deputy mayoral election, you and I can say, no, we are definitely voting for this particular person in this election. And again, if you remember the Labor Party, 
the expectation is that you'll vote for a member of the Labor Party if one stands for election. Is, is that always been the case? Like, is this the sort of thing I always find frustrating at times about local politics? Is they're bringing in state politics and federal politics into a local level? Is, is this something that we see more regularly happening here within Dubbo Council? Is that part of the issue? Well, you never had a party-endorsed candidate stand for election or be elected until the 2017 election. Mm. So you had one Labor-endorsed candidate who stood and was elected, or you had more than one stand, but there was one elected. Mm. And then in the 2021 election, every ward had two, I don't think there's any more than two, but at least two stood in each ward as Labor-endorsed candidates. Mm. And we've now got three Labor-endorsed candidates. Now, Mm. I don't have a problem with that. That's democracy. I personally would prefer to see no party politics involved in local government, but it's a harsh reality of the world Mm. we live in. But in this particular scenario, those three, if any of those three stood for election, then their expectation for that party, I'm not an expert on the Labor Party, but the expectation, as I understand it, is that you will support one of your fellow comrades Mm. in that election process. And that's exactly what happened on Thursday night. We had Josh Black, a member of the Labor Party, standing. Vicky Etheridge and Pam Wells are both members of the Labor Party. So the vote went three votes for Josh and seven votes for me. Same thing happened for Deputy Mayor. You had Richard Ivey standing for Deputy Mayor and Pam Wells, again, a member of the Labor Party. And the same three voted for Pam for Deputy Mayor and the same seven voted for Richard for Deputy Mayor. So that was it done and and finished and over and done with. And then we moved on with the rest of the meeting. I took back over the chair after the elections had finished and then basically ran the rest of the council meeting as per normal. And everyone behaved themselves and did what they should do. There was no one spitting the dummy and Hmm. throwing things on the ground. So it wasn't like state politics or it wasn't like federal politics where they have this so-called bear pit where there was aggressive commentary sort of thrown across the board. I would like state and federal. In fact, let's start a campaign. Hmm. I would love state and federal to look at the way most councils behave in a council meeting. Because in a council meeting, and even last night, obviously there could have been some tension, there could have been some people unhappy with outcomes, Hmm. there could have been some people behaving badly. But last night, as with every council meeting that I've been involved with in this council, and really just about everyone I've been involved with my whole time in council, Hmm. people stood up to speak about their issue, everyone else stayed quiet. No yep. one else spoke. They sat down, someone else stood up. No one said, Mark Barnes is mm. a complete idiot for what he said. They might have said, I don't agree with Mark's opinion or Councillor Barnes' opinion if you're a mm. councillor. Yes. On this particular topic, I think we can do this. And So everyone's very respectful. Everyone speaks about the topic, about the issue. They're not personally attacking each other. Mm. And they're certainly not talking over the top of each other. No, and no. that's one thing you do see in state and federal where oh, people are carrying absolutely. on. And what what you're sort of explaining them, Matt, is there's a sense of decorum almost in the fact that there's a, a way that people go about this in a respectful way. So, Matt, why is that then the case in regards to state and federal? Because I'm with you. I think we should be starting something here to uh, you, you watch the news at night and, and you see situation. Our, our local member of the state level got kicked out the other day as well for a similar scenario whereby obviously I was suggesting the, the Speaker of the House has booted him out because of the fact that he kept interjecting and over a question to one of the ministers in regards to it. Now, he may well have been right in regards to what he was saying, but the simple nature is the fact that that seems almost to be allowed and acceptable, that you can do this. Yes, you get booted out, but you're allowed back in the next meeting in almost. Why is this the case in state and federal? What's your opinion on this? So you talk about it being allowed and acceptable. Mm. I almost think it's expected. I actually think the parties have got a lot to answer for with this scenario because it's almost expected... Right, Mark, if you want to be a success in this party, you've got to get in there and 
show us what you're made of, get in there and give it to the other side. And that's not really going to give you good outcomes. It's yep. not good debate. And for the public when I'm watching, I just get frustrated with it. Yes. If you had a kindergarten class as a teacher that behaved like that, you'd be sending the students to the principal in kindergarten. Yep. And here they are, the leaders in our community. Yep. So I do get a bit frustrated by it. One of the things I, I find really good in a council meeting and council debate is that some will stand up, they'll put their points of view forward, and they'll sit back down. And there might be other people sitting around the, the table that are really keen to have their say because they know that what that person's saying is so wrong and they mm. want to put their opinion forward. But you can you can almost see people ready to jump up and, mm. and talk, but they don't. Mm. They sit down, they let the first speaker, whoever's speaking about the topic, finish their discussion. And then when it's their turn, and mm. I keep an eye on all the members sitting around and people with their hand up, and I, I've got a little bit of paper in front of me to scribble down, right, Councillor Billy Bloggs is next and Councillor Mary Bloggs is after that. Mm. So it's, it's in order if you're putting your hand up to speak. And again, then, oh, it's my turn. Now I can say, all oh, right, yep. I don't agree with some of the things said But there. you get control over those emotions too, don't you? Like I'd imagine if someone gets up there and starts to go off and, and gets uh, makes a personal attack on one of the other aldermen or, or starts to become using offensive language or just starts becoming a bit irate, you have the position and opportunity there to turn around and pull that person in pretty quickly, don't you? Absolutely right. And other councillors have that opportunity as well. They can call a point of order. It's something, if, if someone says point of order, the meeting stops. Yeah, right, okay. What's your point of order? And then I can make a ruling on that point of order. Now, if people don't agree with my ruling, so if, for example, if I've got one of my mates in inverted commas mm. going off and talking about things, someone calls a point of order, I can say no point of order there because I'm trying to protect one of my mates. Mm. Hypothetical scenario here. Yeah. But then you can say, you can actually call for a ruling against, so you can actually have a vote of counsel against that point of order, or sorry, against my ruling on a point of order. Yeah. Again, it's unlikely you're going to go that far, but a point of order, everything stops, let's rule on that. So if someone thinks that someone's maybe making some sort of defamatory statements mm. or running another counsellor down or a staff member, whatever it might be, yeah. yeah, everything stops there. But again, I really haven't seen that. I've only seen it from the public gallery. I've had yeah, a couple right. of times where I've had to stop someone from the public gallery That'd and be say, almost sorry. like a hear-hear sort of type of commentary. No, no, that a little bit, but it's usually only one mention to say, please don't break out into applause or yep. say hear from the public gallery. Yeah. And maybe they learn that from state and federal and think that's yeah, what they're meant to do. Right. But I've had a couple of times where someone's speaking in public forum and they've started to make some negative commentary around mm. a council, around council staff, so I've had to pull them up there. Mm. But councillors... No, really, it's pretty much... They keep you, the respect. That's right. And I actually think standing up to speak and then sitting back down helps in that process mm, because mm. it means that you're standing up almost to show respect to your fellow councillors. Yep. And it's almost a bit like a corporate issue where you get handed when you've got a big corporate group and you get handed the talking stick. Whoever's got yes. the talking stick can talk. Whoever's standing up can talk. Everyone else stays seated. Having mm. said that, I don't stand up every time to talk as the mayor because you be up and down the whole night because you're talking yeah. constantly. And the staff who are only asked questions, ask information, they don't stand up to speak either. It's the councillors because they're debating. So the staff should be just giving some factual information because of the debate process with councillors. That's mm. why they stand to talk. Mm. So again, went through the process, got elected, had the meeting, everything went along as you'd expect with the meeting. Lots of good debate good. and we move on. Well, mate, look, yeah, the other thing is in regards to this, so you've now taken on the uh, the mantle and the role for the next 12 months uh, in regards to the mayor. I read with interest the your mayoral memo during the week, uh, which outlined in fairly specific detail, may I say, uh, the type of role of what to expect as a mayor. And a lot of this is incredibly time-consuming, apart from simply attending the meetings and, and going off and, and meeting other people and being involved in uh, lots of high-level conversations. 
the, the amount of accountability to the general public is huge. You're accessible through social media, you're accessible through emails, you're accessible through phone calls. I read with interest just how many of these uh, you do on a yearly basis. Just sort of update the uh, the listeners, let's just say, in regards to some of the type of things that's expected of a mayor these days from the point of view of accountability and how easily accessible you are. So you're talking about the two or three people that didn't read my mayoral memo? Already. That's right. Yeah, right. Exactly. There was probably only about a couple left, I'm sure. That's right. Just for those couple. I did actually write my mayoral column, number 90 it was, because I may not have been mayor after that. That gets published on Wednesday each week in the Daily Liberal and in the Wellington and District Leader. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll write a bit of a summary because it's. I was interested as well just to say where are these numbers at. I went through and just did a bit of a count on a range of things. And again, it was quite interesting. So 644 days I'd been in the position for, so from the election, from the election of mayor back in 2021 through to the 20th of September when the mayor election was. So mm. 644 days. And then I looked at some parts of the Act and how I might have fulfilled parts of those. One of my kids many years ago when I was mayor of Dubbo City Council was asked to do a PowerPoint presentation. All the kids had to do a PowerPoint on what their parents did. And so my daughter came home and said, oh, I'm going to want you do, Dad. What do you do? And I went, oh, that's a really good question. And she needed some visuals with it. So she found photos of me cutting ribbons and cutting cakes. So it was a, I don't know, 90 <laughs> Sounds like slide. a pretty good job when you're walking around right. doing that sort of thing. A, a 90-slide PowerPoint yeah, on yeah. cutting ribbons and cutting cakes. This is my dad. He's the big fat fella with all that cake <laughs> over the back seat. That's, that's right. <laughs> so... Obviously, I do a little bit more than that. That's mm. an important part of it. I didn't actually analyse that part of it. I didn't actually count how many ribbons I'd cut during the mm. 644 days. But I did analyse a few things, and I linked them back to the Local Government Act. Section 226 of the Act says the role of the mayor. And then I broke it down into certain parts. So part C of that says that the mayor is the governing body's spokesperson. So mm. I think communication is vital, so I mm. analyse that. I've done 509 radio, newspaper and television interviews. Just in the last uh, term, is it? In that the right? 644 yeah. days, 509 yeah. of those. I've done 49 at that stage. 49 podcasts. Podcasts, yes. that's right. Now Over 60 hours of content in those. Yep. I've written 90 mayoral memo columns. Mm. So in terms of just those formal communications, mm. there's a fair bit there. Then I looked at part M, and that says that the mayor, another role of the mayor, is to represent the council at various organisational levels. So I looked at that, and I looked at things like the Alliance of Western Councils, Regional Cities, New South Wales, Regional Capitals Australia. So there have been 53 times over that period that I've travelled out of Dubbo to represent council on those various organisations or represent Dubbo at those various organisations. Part B says that it's important for the Mayor to be focused on community cohesion, Mm -hmm. and I think a working relationship that's very positive with fellow councillors is really important. So I do one-on-one interviews with basically all the councillors. There's one councillor who doesn't have the time to do them, but I offer it to all councillors. You do that weekly or monthly? Every every month I have eight councillors that we have booked in. And again, if someone's overseas or can't make it, so pretty consistent. Just a general chat, catch up and sort of see any concerns, how you're going, that sort of stuff? I I call it the one-hour Seinfeld chat, a chat about (laughs) nothing. It really is one of those things that you do sit down and say, what's happening? How are you going? What are you focused on? And sometimes some council say, oh, I haven't got much to talk about this month. And an hour and a half later, we're still going. Mm. So it's really just important just to make sure I understand where each council's up to, what they're focused on, how I can help them, and vice versa. And yeah. it's a good opportunity for them to give me feedback as well. Yeah, absolutely. How am I going? Yeah. What am I doing well, wrong? It's relationship building as well too, isn't it? Relationship building, that's right. Yeah. So I've conducted 120 of those one-on-one interviews okay. with councillors over the last 644 days. And then also the Act 
in part I says you should foster partnerships between council and key external entities. Mm. So I've had 108 meetings with representatives from, say, government and some private sector organisations yeah. that are involved in council. And then engagement with the local community is in part K mm. of section 226. So with that, We've reinstated the community leaders' breakfast, so they've been going yes, well. Yes. We've got another one coming up on the 7th of October, Excellent. on Saturday morning, down at the markets, the farmers' markets. And then the mayoral developers' forums have been started mm. up again. But also, I think it's really important to be accessible for the community. I advertise my mobile phone number, mm. I advertise my email address, anyone can contact me, lots of people do. And I didn't realise how many until I actually did a quick count on my emails. So in that term, I'd received... 18,163 emails. Holy jeez. And I'd sent 14,089 wow. emails. Now, I've read some of your emails. It's not like a bloke sort of goes, yeah, right. You know, like <laughs> you, you're quite extensive in your responses. But I'll listen to all of this. And I think to myself, you're a guy who you do put yourself out there, Matt, from the point of view of you're, you're more than accessible. You've, you've let everybody know the fact that this is how you can contact. I, I've read a lot of your responses to people through social media. You're always saying positive and you always remain on the focus of what the real agenda is. There are people out there that, that do want to have a pot shot at you. And I suppose it's the nature of leadership, isn't it? You know, there's always going to be those out there that aren't going to be happy. You've taken on this, this step again to go in to become the mayor for another 12 months. Does any of this get you down? When you, you're out there, you're putting yourself out at the time, you're doing some terrific things. Do you get sort of feeling as though, oh, I just don't need the, the, all the negativity at times that sort of surrounds the role? I'm actually okay with it. It probably affects my wife. Probably not so much my kids anymore. They're probably okay with it, but it probably affects my wife more than it does me. Mm. But it also affects fellow councillors. And one of the, the things that I find when I talk to councillors, sometimes in those one-on-one meetings, sometimes mm. just in general, is the frustration that you waste, we all waste a bit of time on dealing with some of the negativity when what this group of councillors is really focused on doing is driving Dubbo forward. So yeah. I, I don't get down by it. There's a couple of things that I live by. One is when people speak ill of you, behave such that no one will believe them. Mm. And I, I really like that. Mm. Uh, I think it's a great probably, line. Yeah, I, I think my sister actually said that to me many years ago, decades ago probably, and that's true. So when I see people saying some negative things, whether it be about council decisions or not understanding the process, sometimes people say, oh, did you see the mayor's doing this? Mm. Well, it's not the mayor. It's a council resolution, mm. and I take part C of the act of Section 226 very important, I think it's very important, where I'm the spokesperson for the council. So when council makes a decision, whether I agree with it or not, I'm the spokesperson for that. So mm. that's where I have a bit of a chuckle to myself sometimes when I say, oh, the mayor's doing this. Well, actually, I didn't vote for that, but I've been speaking about that because it's a council resolution. So mm. sometimes people don't understand the role of the mayor. Mm. So I don't get that down about some of those things. And the other thing, it was actually another councillor who gave me this little bit of advice, mm. which I loved. And he said to me, when you see criticism don't worry too much about criticism from people that you wouldn't ask for advice. Oh, I like that. And yes. it's, it's important as well. So you see criticism from people and you think, well, it's probably not someone that I'd go and ask for advice, probably don't put a lot of credibility in their opinion. So if I see criticism, don't let it get to you, don't let yeah. it affect you so much. Yeah. As long as you know you're doing the right thing, as long as you're getting feedback from people about how you're going and you can see the results to see the outcomes working, mm. then you think, well, I'm still doing the right thing. And getting community feedback is important, yeah. but you're right, social media, and I didn't actually include in those numbers, that would have been a hard one to calculate. Yeah, absolutely. How many social That's media right. posts I've yeah. put up, how many, even phone calls, I, I didn't have a way of counting the number of phone calls. I looked at my call log, 
the caller doesn't go back forever. It only goes back mm. a couple of weeks. Mm. And there were some days there where I might have been receiving 20 counselee, uh, phone calls sorry, in a day. Mm. So you multiply that out, it gets to be a pretty scary number. But it's not every day that I no. get 20. There might be some days I only get 10. Yep. But, yeah, if you add it into that, the social media posts, the comments, I can't read every time I'm tagged in a social media post because I see my name come up in tags and all sorts of sites. I, I literally could not get to all of those. I always say to people, if you need me to take some action on something, then send me an email. If yeah. you want to have a pot shot at me, sure, go and put a, a social media post. I probably won't see it. I probably won't read it. Yeah. If the idea is that you just want to have a bit of a vent and have a crack at me and expect me never to read it, never take action, go for it on social media. But if you really want some action to be enacted if you want something to occur you want me yep. to follow up something send me an email or contact me in a more formal method yep. rather than social media and you'll yeah. get some action and do so in a respectful way well i think that's a, a fantastic overview for us matt and look well done again on uh, getting the the mayoral job and uh, congratulations on the fact our 50th podcast as well now i notice uh, here actually one of the first things that you had to do uh, with the um I suppose on Thursday night after being re-elected there as the mayor was the determination of the number of councillors for the 2028-2032 term of office. Now, I think going back to the last election, uh, there was a localised referendum that was we had to vote on as well in regards to the, the number of councillors and also um, there was another part to that as well, which I've now since forgotten. Um, Talk me through it. Are, are we going to keep the same number of uh, councillors uh, coming through? Are we going to stick the number of 11 or are we going to increase it to maybe, I don't know, 13 or something? So we are going to keep it at the same number. And just go back to refresh your memory. When we had the 2017, or sorry, the first election after the 2016 amalgamation, the first election was 2017. Yes. And the state government dictated, because they can change this without referendum, they dictated that Dubbo Regional Council would exist and that would have five wards. Oh, the wards, that's right. Of yes. two people. And so that was a decision done. Hmm. The last council, and every council has to do it, every council I've been involved with has to do this. It might have changed slightly in the methodology and the process, but hmm. Section 224 of the Local Government Act says that council must determine the number of councillors for the following term of office. So you do that after every new in, in every council term, you've got yeah, to do that. Yeah, you do it once. And okay. you've got to do it, you do it once, that's right, and you've got to do it basically before the last 12 months of council. Okay. So we, we had to do it. This meeting, we could have done it earlier, but doing it towards mm. the end of your term is normally the way you would do it. Mm. Now, when the Act says determine the number of councillors, it's not quite correct because you can say how many councillors you want to have on council, but if you're going to change that, it's got to actually be approved by a referendum as well. So that's the referendum aspect of it. We get the people to decide. Correct. In the last term of council, councillors made a decision to make changes to the makeup of councillors and the number of councillors. And so that went to a referendum. You may remember when you voted in 2021, on the 4th of December 2021, there was a referendum question which said, Currently, Dubbo Regional Council is divided into five wards that elect 10 councillors in total. Do you favour abolishing this ward system in favour of a single area consisting of all voters that elects 11 councillors? It's a bit of a wordy question, but essentially, do you want to get rid of wards and have 11 councillors? And the community said, absolutely. The question was declared passed with 74.59% in favour of that change. And so, so we're getting rid of wards, aren't we, the next election? Getting election's. rid of wards. Yep. So then in this election that we'll have in 2024, 
there will be 11 councillors and there will be no wards. Now, if we had made a decision on Thursday night to change the number of councillors, or we could have also put out to referendum to change the method of election of the mayor. Oh, okay. So, because, of course, you mentioned this to us last week, that you could, uh, at the elections, people could vote for the mayor as part of that. Is that right? That's that's right. So there are 128 councillors in the state. Yeah. 35 of those have the mayor elected by a popular process. See, with I had the no idea that was the case. I, yeah. I actually always thought it was always done by the alderman in the council. It was never done by the people. Yeah, it has been in Dubbo. So since okay. 1872, it's always been done by the council. Right. So, so we've never had the other system. We've never had the other right, system. Okay. But Orange, for example, changed over. I think it was two elections ago. They changed over to a popularly elected mayor. Right. And so we could have done that as well. As part of this decision making process, we could have said, yes. We'll change the number of councils or leave the number of councils the same mm. and we would like to change the election of the mayor to be a popular elected mayor rather than internally elected or mm. elected by your fellow councillors. We discussed that and there was a bit of discussion around the mayoral possibility. What would that look like? Would that be a good okay. idea or not? So there was some genuine debate and discussion about uh, whether or not we, we go to a way that allows the people to vote on the mayor. Yeah, I don't know that I'd go, it was genuine debate around it. There was probably more questions. Some, mm. Should we do this? What do we think about this? Probably more along those lines rather than people arguing really hard one mm. way or the other. I think in the end, most councillors were pretty happy with having the mayor elected by fellow councillors. Yep. And a few advantages to that. You can have the expression I've heard is lame duck mayor. Mm. You could have a mayor elected by the people. So you go to a popular elected mayor and you have people stand for a separate election. You, mm. you stand for election for the mayor, you get elected for the mayor. But that mayor is not very well regarded, for example, by the councillors. Mm. So you've got councillors who are typically going in one direction and the mayor, who they have no say over who the mayor is, mm. going in another direction. So that's a, a problem. Yep. The second issue is that it actually turns the mayor election into a much bigger spending event. At the moment, I love the democracy we've got. You don't have to spend a lot of money to be elected as a councillor. If you want to put in the hard work with just good old-fashioned boot leather, walk yep. the streets, yep. talk to people, mailbox drops. If you want to really put a big effort in, mm. you can get elected for not a lot of money. And some people spend money and, and don't put the mm. boot leather in and, and mm. use advertising. So you've got methods available to you. But when I've seen mayoral elections happen for councils around the state, it tends to be a lot more focus on making it a big spend on that one position. You're not yep. trying to be elected as one of 11, you're trying to be elected as that one. Yes. So you end up having more people spend money. So that means it's probably not as open a process for anyone to be the mayor. It's really only people that could afford could to do it. also see it as quite challenging too for people uh, sitting down. If you don't know a person, and a lot of people don't know a lot of the council, let's be frank, um, when you're sitting there at the polling booth, um, there'll be people that you do know and there'll be a lot of people you don't know. So I really don't know how you can vote for someone to be a mayor, that you don't know what their criteria is or credentials are and how they'd stand in that sort of capacity. Well, that's that's absolutely true as well. The other part is that, and I actually preferred it when it used to be you put your hand up for mayor every year. It's mm. now two years, so on a four-year term, the mayor gets elected at the beginning of that four-year term and then midway through that term. But with a mayor that's there for four years, mm. that's it. If Sounds you, like a US presidential election. It does a bit, doesn't it? Whereas at least with the other method, you've got a chance after two years, you might say, well, actually, this guy or girl isn't working out so well. Yeah. Let's put someone else in that particular position. Yeah. And when you think about it, our state government, our federal government, do it in the same way. Hmm. We don't really vote for Chris Minns or Anthony no. Albanese. We're voting for our own electorate and then whoever forms government yeah. out of their own 
that's in that particular party, they elect a leader of that party, which ends up being the Premier well, and Prime Minister. You really are electing a working party of people. A group of people that are going to be able to work together to to solve problems and uh, look towards future planning and put some good decisions in place. And, and it's amongst those people that they will undoubtedly try to identify who they feel as they'd be the best leader of their small little group. And when you think about it, they probably know that person better hmm. than the public. The public might see one particular persona. Those people that have to deal with that person on a regular basis, hmm. they probably get to know that person hmm. much better. And in fact, after the two-year time frame, for example. Absolutely. So, so we, we've stuck with the 11. So we, we voted there and uh, it was 11's been the decision to go around again? Correct. And again, it's a long process. If we wanted to change it, then – and personally, I would probably say 13's not too bad. But again, I wasn't going to go through the trouble of going from 11 to 13 because the next step is if councillors – vote to change it, it then would go to a referendum in next year's election, so that adds extra expense to that election. Yep. And then it would mean that in 2028, the change would come into effect mm. if the referendum comes out in the positive. Right. Okay. So it's a bit of a process yeah, to go absolutely. through. So you really only do it if you really wanted to and had something important. Mm. Like the last one, absolutely support that, getting yep. rid of wards and changing it to an odd number of councillors. Yep. That absolutely makes sense. Mm. Now, this is a bit of a, uh, a news item sort of come up here in regards to this because I wasn't aware of this. Um, something's happened here. The, uh, there's been a rescission of land swap uh, happened with the Dubbo RSL Club and Dubbo Regional City Council. I'm assuming here this is talking about the old uh, Dubbo City Bowling Club site and the land swap that took place between that site and the site up there near South Lakes, I think, that was uh, near that area. Is that right, up that way? Yeah, on Keswick. But yeah, yeah, on Keswick, sort of up that top point, isn't it? Yeah, correct. So take us back here, Matt, because before you get into what's actually happened here in regards to it, can you just talk us through again, just for the listeners, what actually took place here? Because it looks as though now uh, the Barra Sales Club's turned around and said, okay, we, we want out of the deal, and they've been given the opportunity to get out of this deal. And so... so Take everyone back. What actually happened here initially and what's happened now? On the 28th of September 2020, so pretty well three years before the council meeting, which just happened on the 20th of mm-hmm. September 2023, yep. council resolved to proceed with a deed to effect a land swap arrangement with the WRSL Memorial Club, which transferred from the RSL Club to council the property at 74 Windy Warrior Street, which is the old Dubbo City Bowling Club, is that yep. what it was called? Dubbo City Bowling Dubbo Club. Dubbo City Bowling Club, yep. I think it was, yes. And we, we kind of called it the Greens, is what yep. we've been referring to it as recently. So that property there, with that old building on there, and what was going to go from council to the RSL hmm. was 3.3 hectares of land within that southern portion of Keswick Estate. Now, this was a straight land swap. There was no money transactions on this, was there? Correct. Okay. Now, I when I heard that deal, and I wasn't on council at the time, I, my initial thought was... We've given away something of value Mm. to get something that we don't necessarily need or want and have no business plan, no strategy for. Mm. That doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? And I am not a fan of land swaps in general because I just find it a bit convenient that 3.3 hectares of land up in a great development area Mm. just happen to be worth the identical amount as an old dilapidated building at 74 Windy Warrior Street. Mm. I don't understand that. So anyway, I wasn't on council, so mm. it wasn't my decision to make. They made that decision. And there were a number of things that the RSL Club wanted council to do to affect that land swap. So again, you do the land swap, you think, well, that's it. Was, was there a legal contract set out? So the fact that this was legally binding? A, a legal contract 
legally binding with some conditions that council needed to meet. So, for example, council had to construct a road along the front part of that to more expense to council. So right. now we're doing a land swap, again, getting something we didn't want or need and have no use for, mm. and now we're having to pay out money for a road. There was some rezoning. So there were a few steps we had to go through, mm. and there were certain dates on those. And if we didn't meet some of those, then certainly RSL Club could back out of that and had the ability to, to cancel or rescind so, the contract. So if council didn't what put the land, put the uh, the road in, then uh, RSL Club could have backed out of that deal because there would have been a redneck almost. Uh, something like that. Mm. And we had to still act in good faith as you do with any contract. Yeah. So there were some conditions we had to meet. Of, of Is that normal? Conditions. Well, again, that's part of my frustration with this land swap. If you're going to do a land swap, we'll make it effective from today. Yeah. Why do you leave it in limbo and drag on? And then when we, when this council looked at some of the parts of the contract in more detail, they were going to put in a temporary road out the front of the block of land for the RSL Club to build. And then as the whole area of Keswick was developed further, then that temporary road was going to be redone to a permanent road that was required for the feeding of that. And so this group of councillors said, well, why would we do that? and spend money twice, mm. surely there's some wastage there. Why don't we just do the proper road? Sure, before we need it, but do the proper road properly. So we went back to the RSL Club and said, we'd like to do that road properly. They said, that's fine. Mm. So they were happy with that. That delayed some things a little bit. But in general, we continued on there. Now, the RSL Club did talk to us a little bit about some minor issues they had with some remediation. They had a report around some remediation because they'd had some work done by some of the consultants. So when you say remediation, what are you talking about there? Well, they found some rubbish under the ground and some parts of that, so you had to do something with that. And so they were going through a process. clear it out sort of thing, was it? Well, they had choices there, I suppose. Was the expectation then that council had to do that or was it the RSL Club had to do that? Well, we had some discussions around that and we certainly made it clear that that wasn't council's responsibility to do that. So they went through a process. I think they got to the stage where they thought this parcel of land isn't really exactly what we like. We hadn't met some of our deadlines, so they had the ability to rescind that. And so they sent us a, a legal letter, which is in our business papers if anyone wants to read it particularly. And they, mm. they give six points to that letter and some of that process talks about the conditions in the contract that weren't met, so they had that ability. And so if I read the last line of it, it says, we hereby give notice that the club exercises their right of rescission of the land swap deed. And again, if you had have bought the land, if, if they'd approached council and yep. council had said, we'll sell you some land. Yep. Here's the, a price. The story that I've heard is that it was council that suggested the land swap deal, which I just don't understand at all. Mm. But if they had have come along and said, we want to buy a parcel of land, and council said, sure, here's a parcel of land. You've got 30 we'll days get, cooling off period, whatever. To that's right. We'll get a valuation done on that. Yep, yep. Or we'll take it to auction to make sure it's a fair and reasonable open market price. Whatever the process is, if I'm about to hand over millions of dollars for a parcel of land, I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to mm. make sure it's right for me. I'm going to get my reports in and I'm going to then make that purchase when I'm comfortable with it. Mm. But because the land swap was in limbo and we had conditions to meet, it meant that you could back out. And whenever you're going to have the ability to back out, you might back out. There's a one of my business rules in one of my books that I say, don't give yourself a back door. Mm. If you've got a back door, sometimes you take it. Now, in this case, they were going through the process. And it, again, there were some more expenses than they anticipated. So I, I get that from the RSL Club's perspective. If they had bought that land initially, and then they had these other expenses that came along, they might have worked a way through it. They might have found some other consultants that maybe could mm. work out a different way to deliver what they needed to deliver. But because they had the option to back out, sometimes yeah. that's the easy option. Oh, I'll just yeah. back out. That'll be yeah. easy. So again, it just hopefully 
mark. Hopefully, mm. this is the last of the hangovers from the last council. Mm. The RSL club is still keen to build up in that area. Right. The RSL club has still said to us, if we can find some other parts of land up there, then we'll look at that and we'll look at and how we it might And we could purchase fit. that. And, we, and I did actually say council would certainly, the feedback I've had from councils is that it would be unlikely to be a land swap deed. Yep. Me personally, absolutely, I'd be saying no to a land yep. swap de- deed or land swap arrangement. But yes, we might have seen there you can purchase. Yep. On the Greens, we found a tenant, New South Wales Rugby. Well, this is my next question, is the fact that it's the RSL club can't now just move straight back into this area if they wanted this area because there's already an agreement now, isn't there, with New South Wales Rugby. So we've got a lease. Now, we had to get a sublease agreement mm. because effectively... What, a sublease agreement from the RSL club to be able to lease out a land... Oh, this is just getting more complicated. I know, and, and I didn't realise this was the case. When yeah. we were going to go out to lease this out... I just assumed that we own. I'd heard about this land swap deal, mm. and I assumed that the land swap deal had been yep. completed yep. because it was years ago. We control now this area of land, therefore we control who goes into it. That's right. We own that, so we can mm. lease it out. But as we went through the discussions, I found that we couldn't mm. just necessarily lease it out to anyone. So, for example, if we put out an expression of interest, which we did, and someone said, yes, I'll move in there, please, I'm going to make it a bowling club, then we would have had to get permission from the RSL club to do a sublease, and they so would they have, could said, have said no. Well, it's their land, so they could have said no <laughs> as yep. to who went in. Yep. Now, again, the likelihood of a bowling club coming along no. and leasing that. I, I know what you're saying, but it, it just seems so silly that you got, uh, you know, who's who's the chief in charge, yeah, sort of thing. Um, exactly right. You got two chiefs there rolling. So, does this place New South Wales rugby in any uh, danger of having to be moving out of this space, or are they okay there right now? Well, I hope not, because I think the EI that went out, I think New South Wales rugby gave a good offer and I think it's good for the community and they were paying good money for it. So we've said to both New South Wales Rugby and the RSL Club, here's the lease arrangement. Yes, they're basically taking back possession of it. They could cancel that if they wanted Mm. to, but I doubt they'll do that. They've got nothing they want to do with it immediately. They'll Mm. probably sell that block of land and sell that. Because New South Wales Rugby's there for the next, well, at least 18 months or so, isn't it? That's right. There was a two-year lease Mm. that they had. They always knew it wasn't going to be a forever lease because Mm. they knew that at some stage we would plan some sort of strategy around that. And they did know it was a sublease arrangement. So we've gone through and explained that and been quite upfront with them all the way. Mm. But we weren't expecting to say, oh, sorry, you've got to now talk to the RSL Club. Again, I think those conversations will be fine. We've also got another community group in a very small part of that and they were concerned about having to move out at some stage. And they will have to move out at some yeah. stage, but at least for the moment. So is this land swap effective as from now, or is it a... It's rescinded. It's done. It's, it's gone. It's, it's, it's gone. Okay, so yep. it's... That, that letter from the solicitors, that's as far as anyone's concerned from a legal perspective, yep. they said quite clearly, we give notice that the club exercises their right of rescission. So yeah, right. once that was received, that was done. Yep. So it's okay. rescinded, it's off, finished. Done. So New South Wales Rugby now has to, any issues, they now go back to the RSL Club, not through Dubbo City Council, Dubbo Region City Council. Yeah, yeah exactly okay. right. So that's fine. Now, we also, what happened at the council meeting on Thursday night mm. was that we also resolved to have a look at the green. So is it something we want? What strategic purpose would we have? Can we get a business case together? Mm. How much would we be expected to pay or how much would be a fair price to pay for it? So we might end up okay. buying that. But so again, council could own it outright at some point in time down the future, pay me. That's mate. exactly right. And okay. it might be one of those things where we do find a strategic purpose, but I'd be very disappointed whether it be a land swap, whether it be an outright purchase, mm. you hope that someone has actually gone through and put together the process to say, yeah. we need this. A business proposal. Something like mm. that, because you're spending public money here. Absolutely. One of the big uh, things I suggest over the course of the next, uh, well, 
18 months, two years, it's really going to start to take off this, uh, the Northwest Urban release, and it looks as though there's been a draft release of uh, this proposed development area, and referring to it as the control plan. Um, now, this is going up on public exhibition for people to have a look at, and I know there's been some debate over certain aspects of this. Um, on Thursday night, Matt, what was the discussion about? Uh, has council signed off on this? Are they happy with what they're seeing? So the draft Northwest Development Control Plan had been on public display. We received submissions. I met with some residents. There were some councils that received various calls from residents. And so this was basically coming back to council to potentially be adopted or modified. Mm-hmm. Probably, and overall the plan, I think the community feedback was positive about the whole plan. Yep. I think the potential for this area is unbelievable. I think it's an yeah. exciting area. Well, you've shown me the plans and I've had a look at it myself and it looks good. Yeah. There's a lot of green space, which is impressive. A green space. I, I love that part of it and it's very close to the CBD. What a great bit of development to be occurring yeah. so close to the CBD. So lots of positives there. So what were some of the objections? So we received some submissions and certainly had some meetings with people who live on Chifley Drive. Chifley Drive is a Lovely, quiet area. Mm. It's got two streets that you can access, Chifley Drive off Thompson Street. But it's a pretty quiet area, and there's one part in particular, one cul-de-sac area there that you'd probably have five cars a day. There'd be very few cars that would go there, so it it is a really nice, quiet area. Mm. One of the things that's important for this whole northwest development area is that connectivity, walking, the ability to, to move around in that area is very important. That's part of the whole design principles. We're looking at best practices all mm. over the place to see what, how we can deliver a really nice living area. Yep. The plans that we had out had some connectivity between the Chifley Drive area that exists and a walkway through to join up to part of this whole plan. Okay. And that's where some concerns or some and residents in so Chifley so what Drive... Were the concerns? Were, were they concerned about the, the positioning of the walkway or were they concerned about the size of the walkway or just simply having a walkway leading into their area? Just a walkway. Okay. I think there were some concerns around some antisocial behaviour, about an area where people could commit crimes and then get away easily, Mm -hmm. even just some extra foot traffic that might come through into the Chifley Drive area. And so those concerns were heard by councillors. There was some discussion around those, certainly in in various meetings that I've been involved with, with councillors and with various residents, etc. And eventually there was an amendment moved to the plan to actually close off that area. Now, keep in mind, this is a walkway, it's not a driveway, and it'll be a large walkway to try and minimise that potential of antisocial behaviour. You've got to weigh it up, getting that connectivity through Mm. versus the potential for antisocial behaviour. And in some walkways around Dubbo, we've actually closed off some, some that Mm. have been skinny, some that have been crime areas or maybe easy places to hide. Someone can steal something from a house and then hide in that walkway, looking around, waiting to see if any cars turn up, then running away. Yep. So all of those issues hopefully are addressed in the design of this mm. and it was certainly made quite clear that this was not about a road being put through there. It was definitely a walkway, even mm. though it might be a fairly wide walkway. Mm. So all of that was interesting, but then an was amendment a, was moved. Sorry to interrupt you there. Was there a report, though, that uh, someone stated that they felt that a house had to be knocked down to make way for this walkway? Is, is that true? That's To make it a nice large walkway, there will be – there's a developer that's bought a house there and if this all goes ahead as per the plan, then rather than have – a little tiny skinny walkway, mm. the idea from the developer would be to knock that house down to have a nice open walkway with some nice treatment there, lights, that type of thing, yep. to make it a safer and really... So you talk about a house block size walkway then? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's All probably right. that house block would probably, I'm estimating here, would probably be 20 metre frontage. Mm. Now, not the whole 20 metres 
wouldn't necessarily be the walkway. There'll be some design done around that. Yep, yep. But it's not just meant to be a little skinny walkway, which is, I think, where some of that antisocial behaviour has occurred. Mm, and okay. that's a choice for the developer. That's not council's choice. We're not saying this must be knocked down. You don't have to put that in. It's all about this master plan, if mm. you like, of this area there. Mm. But I think the developer is keen to do that. And that would be allowed, again, going through the next steps. But in terms of the master plan, that would be allowed mm. there. Again, an amendment was moved. We debated that. The amendment was to block off that and not have that walkway. All the plans, all the rest of the plans, chill, drop those, but just don't have the walkway there. And that was debated, went around, and again, good, healthy debate. In the end, councillors voted not to close it off, to leave it open as to the plans, and then the rest of those plans have now been adopted. So that's now the DCP, the Development Control Plan, for that whole northwest urban release yeah. area. So and that draft plan's now been signed off and sort of said, okay, we're happy now what we've got. So what's the next step? Do, do we now formalise this as a plan? Well, this is it's formalised now right. as, if you want to call it, to make it simple, make it call it a master plan. Okay. So this is the big picture. And when you look at the plans, which are all in the council papers, yep. you get an idea that you've got the roads and you've got the general blocks in terms of mm. the large blocks but it doesn't really drill down to the detail of each individual house block. Mm. Even if you look in the middle of it there, it's quite exciting. You've got a precinct there that's designed for a village square. So that might be some shopping. There might be a supermarket, an area that would have some central activities for those areas or for those things. And then you'd also have an educational precinct. And around the middle of that might be some medium density Mm. housing. And then as you fan out, you might get to lower density housing. Mm. But you're right, the green space in it is quite impressive. Mm. So that's the big picture. Then developers, knowing that that's the big picture, the master plan, yeah. there are a number of developers that own different parcels of well, land this in this. This is interesting, this, because maybe you tell me about this, that you've got uh, quite a few different developers in town are uh, involved in this project. So this this master plan, let's call it the master plan now, um, this is what the developers have to use then as part of the, the guise for their own development. Is that right? The idea is that the DCP gives you the overarching guiding principles okay. of what you should do in that area. Someone could say, I want to do something a little bit different here. Yep. It would have to go through a process, but you could do something a little bit different. Again, is, the concept is here's the master plan and yep. there are different blocks of land owned by different developers in there. But if you do the master plan that covers all of those, then any development in any of those blocks mm. should match the overall intent of the area. Right, because councils already started development of this, haven't they? They've already started putting pipes in and things like that. They started to run yet, or is that sort no, of too nothing, happen? nothing at, at that level okay. yet. But And again, you'd hope that these developments would fan out from the closest connection where you've already got connections to some of those mm. pipes, sewage pipes, water pipes, etc. It makes it a bit more difficult when a developer wants to skip over a bunch mm. of land and start developing an area where you haven't got those connecting pipes because normally you want to build out and keep fanning out because it makes it more cost-effective to build all your underground infrastructure. Because the funding's there, isn't it? We've got the secured funding for this. Is that right? Well, we've got some funding from the state government, from the previous state government, that gave us $9 million to help accelerate some of these. But the funding really would be a developer comes along and says, we want to develop these lands, and they go through. There's more of a formal process to go through from Mm. here. But then as part of that, we would take contributions from those developers. We would then build the infrastructure that's needed for that. And again, it would fan out. So you're kind of working hand in hand. Mm. We're not going to put a bunch of underground water, sewage in. You're not going to put power in. You're not going to put NBN in, all of these services. You're not going to go and build roads until there's some activity from the developers there. Mm. Mm. And then as that activity occurs, you'll keep building those out. So you don't want to go and spend a lot of money putting all this stuff underground yep. and then saying, that's it, we've done it now. In 20 years' time, 
that'll be developed. You're kind of developing mm. it. You're putting that in uh, infrastructure in the ground just ahead of where the development's up to. Have we got any developers uh, keen to want to get started on this? Is that sort of, I'm assuming now, council's pretty keen now to want to start moving this forward. Is, is there any developer there that's turning around saying, hey, listen, I'm ready to go when you're ready to go? I think there are some. I can't tell you definitively, but I think some of the developers who have been involved, heavily involved in this mm. planning process are pretty keen to get going on that. So there are steps to go through. The developers that are experienced with what's happening know some of these steps. Yep. So they'll go out and they'll look at how they start progressing the next parts. Okay. If I had to say, when will I see the first house That's in that obviously area? the next question. We've got any ideas as when it's going to start? I think the end of next year, if okay. I was being a little bit ambitious, I think by the end of next year, probably more likely by, let's say, June 2025, I'd say pretty definitely there'll be at least a house there. Okay. Mm. Yeah, well, it's a good starting point anyway. So it's happening. Now, speaking of developments and uh, all things happening here in Dubbo from the point of view of uh, different areas that are developing different precincts, there's the the Blue Ridge precinct, which has been um, developing quite nicely up there in East Dubbo. There's bit of a bypass sort of a road that uh, council have been engaging in um, wanting to get started as well, which is going to link, I suggest, the Mitchell Highway, swing around the back of uh, Blue Ridge, um, coming down towards Boundary Road, I think is where it's going to sort of uh, head off to. So are we any closer getting started on this? Is this, this getting pretty close now? So this one's a step behind where the last topic we just spoke about is at. Okay. This is now a development control plan for the Blue Ridge Precinct for public exhibition. So this one will go out for public exhibition and the same concept as we talked about before with residential, Mm. this is all about the Blue Ridge area, this is the Blue Ridge Precinct, if you like, and that's talking about small and large-scale commercial and industrial uses. Mm. There's a few things about this. This is, again, that same concept, developing the master plan, the development control plan, to guide developers there. So it's bigger than just just the bypass road, isn't it, really? You're talking here more than that. We are talking more than that, but that's Mm. an important part of it. So Mm. when you're doing a DCP, you do have the basic structure of what it would look like, including the roads. Now, Mm. in this scenario, we're nominating that this particular road from Mitchell Highway that feeds through into Sheraton Road, part of that southern distributor area, Mm. we're saying that this is an important part of that. So that road needs to be a little bit larger, that road corridor needs to be a bit larger because there'll be more traffic, heavier traffic, Mm. higher volumes of traffic on that road. So this is all part of it. Mm. The interesting part here is that you'll sometimes get a DCP DCP being developed by council that has lots of developers on board in that area or sometimes no developers will be on board but you need that DCP to move forward. Mm. This one has got three main developers that are involved in it. Two of those are absolutely on board, want to say go ahead, keen to see that road through the middle, keen to get it all tied up because they understand the importance of that. The third landowner there is not so much excited by all of this. Is this where that whole idea of compulsory acquisition is going to come in? It may. Potentially? It may well do. So the DCP, the planning for the DCP, that can all happen and that guides that particular developer in terms of what will happen looking at that DCP across those three sites, Mm. how they'll all link together and work together. But it doesn't matter if that developer doesn't develop that for 20 years and the other two developers on either side work on that. Mm. But sometimes you need some connectivity through an area. Mm. And Mm. so that major distributor road, that southern distributor road, would be one that, yes, absolutely part of our plan Mm. and makes more sense. There's no point coming off the Mitchell Highway, coming to a dead end, 
the whole idea is to link that through. Yeah. So we'll keep talking to that particular owner, that particular developer, about the DCP in general. I'm sure they'll make a submission to the draft exhibition that we'll have, or yep. the draft that we have on exhibition. But ultimately, if everything else fails, we may have to enact compulsory acquisition. Mm. We may have to say we need that corridor because we need to move forward with the development of this whole area and, and get that traffic, as you know, yep. away from schools, first of all going through Blue Ridge and going onto this southern distributor. Yep. So we may have to go down that path. We hope not. We'd always prefer to talk to people and come to some sort of agreement, but we'll see how we progress yes. there. Now, just quickly here, Matt, uh, last Sunday you went out and uh, farewell. We talked about it in the last podcast, but uh, it all happened there last Sunday. The Minakomo farewell to the students out there. They'd be well and truly settled in now to Japan. How'd the farewell go? Really good. Yeah. And I love talking to the students. They're all so keen and they're so yeah. attentive. Yes. So 10 students there. There's actually a lot of the schools represented. I think every high school in Dubbo, apart from Mags, was represented. Okay. So uh, that was really positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they did. They I sat there and, and I talked to them about the importance of being ambassadors yes. and representing Dubbo across in Mercamo. Mm-hmm. And they really hung up every word. A really big job in front of the chaperones. Mm. So you've got two chaperones, husband and wife team. And I did say to the students, while you're away, your mum and dad now are mm. the chaperones. So. Right. Pretend when your chaperones speak, that's your mum and dad speaking, assuming that you do what your mum and dad say, (laughs) not ignoring mum and dad. But that's a huge responsibility. Oh, absolutely. Parents handed over 10 children and they said to the chaperones, here are my children, please look after them for two weeks Mm. and bring them back safely Mm. in one piece. That is a big responsibility. I think they'll have a wonderful time. I haven't actually heard... Any reports back yet? Haven't well, seen any photos yet. You know, no news is good news. I always well, sort of say that could be the case. Yeah, you're spot on there. So, so normally I expect to see a few photos, but I'll probably get some of those next week. Because the age of these kids are roughly what, fifteen to seventeen or something? Are they? Or yeah, I think you've got to be a minimum of fifteen years of age yep. to go in the program. A good reason, I'd say. You've got to be emotionally mature enough to deal with two weeks away without mum and dad. It's spot on there. And typically, not always, but around about sort of year 10 level is mm. where they're at. So mm. maybe year nine, but yeah, probably around year nine, year 10. Yeah. So good group of students. And there's a fairly exhaustive selection process to go through. So yeah. those kids did well to be selected there. I did tell them they were the best of the best. So they like oh, that there idea. They go. They'd love to hear that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and we'll hear more from them. They'll actually come and do a formal presentation at council. Oh, good. So there's some, some follow up sort of stuff they'll have exactly before right. when they come and back. Exactly right. At those formal presentations, we see lots of photos. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I like this one, Matt. This is very, very exciting. Uh, as you know, uh, you and I have uh, been known to tread the boards occasionally. wouldn't say our singing is anything special, but I think we enjoy the, still the whole notion of getting up there on the stage occasionally in life. And the DRTCC, this is very exciting because they've been given a million dollars here to upgrade their lighting system. Now, this is very exciting uh, because I know you were talking to me about this earlier, uh, some of these uh, movable heads and things like that, they're bringing in this LED lighting, which is just the way the world is moving right now and the accessibility and variety and different ideas you can do with LED lighting is exceptional. So a million-dollar grant to the DRTCC for lighting. Talk us through it. What are we looking at here? It was actually $1 million. And $560, more than a million dollars. $560, more, well, there's at least right. another light. And, of course, with that kind of money, we bought 45 Ayrton Diablos, 42 Pro Lights, 20 Pro Lights, Fresnel, 12 GLP, X5, IP bars. Geez, you know your lights. Look at that. <laughs> You're just rattling that off off memory. No You're not idea. even looking at your notes with that either. You're just rattling these notes straight off. No idea what I've just said. Oh, look, I, I can tell you, I know a little bit about LED lighting from the point of view of theatre, and most of those what we call movable heads. 
So these are the things that, that move around and, mm. uh, you know, it's sort of, and of course with LED, you can change the colours without using the old gel strips back in the old days. Get the old park hands up and flip the old gel strips over. We need red light here. We need a blue light there. These LEDs do all this for us. Yeah. And now you're talking about uh, in regards to some of the, the cool things that some of these lights can do. So uh, one of them was in regards to having a spot that will follow a person on stage without actually having a spot Operator, yeah, that's pretty cool. This isn't is it? cool. This and, is cool. And so one of them, and it was actually used in the Debo Theatre Company production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Was it really? That's right. So if and no one would have noticed it because the spots work so well. Yeah, but yeah. The main actors in that they put a little radio beacon just underneath their shirt. Yeah. And then the spotlight sitting up the back where the spotlights normally sit, where an operator would normally sit. Right. The spots actually, and in fact, I don't have no used up there. They might have been used from above the ones actually just above the audience rather than right at the back. Right. But then automatically as that actor moves around on stage, that radio beacon is tracked by the spot and the spot follows. And I knew that is the so technology cool. was there and I was yeah, actually yeah. taking note during Jesus Christ Superstar and I went, wow, that's good because being a spotlighter, which I know you've done, yes, is yes. a challenge. Absolutely. Trying is. to yeah, actually yeah. keep an eye on where that particular actor is, which yep. way they're going to move next. Yeah. This is just done automatically. So Magic. that's pretty cool. Yeah. You can even do better than that. And some of the, the experts were telling me when the official launch was on this week that you probably need two of the radio beacons to make it work in this particular way, one on the front, one on the back. Mm. But you can actually have lights from above, movable heads, as you said, mm. having spots come from above and from in front as you move around. So you're getting double light, which wow. obviously is, is much better. Yes. But just the rest of them, they did a bit of a demo for us when we did the launch. Mm. And again, all those lights that I've just rattled off, I won't rattle off all those fancy names again. <laughs> and, so, and so all those lights. <laughs> I can test your memory on it. So here you go. Now, there's a Fresnel there. You mentioned one of those. Anything there, else? There was one of those. <laughs> they just showed a demonstration. And as you said, you can change colour. There yes. was a, a mixing deck, just like you would have an audio mixing deck, mm. a mixing deck there that was done for the lights on a computer screen mm. where you can change a whole range of things, run a program. Mm. People come on for different scenes. They can just automatically light it up. Mm. Obviously, the flexibility there is incredible. Change the light colours. There were different patterns you could change I was going to say there. they'll do different patterns, different patterns. shapes. That's yeah. the beautiful thing of these things. Quite fantastic. Intelligent and, lighting. And again, all of these different heads moving around. Yeah. Even in the past, you used to have to have people physically go up high, so mm -hmm. creates yes. a bit of risk for people. factor there, yes. Exactly right. Yeah. And so you'd have to have people go up and move these things around mainly, no more. In fact, the lights we had in there, when we replaced some lights many years ago, we put some second-hand ones in because mm. we couldn't afford the brand-new ones. Mm. So these ones obviously are brand-new. It's amazing what you can do with technology. A million dollars seems like a lot of money, but when you look at the display and what they can do with it, yeah. again, we've talked about the theatre being so great to attract international acts. Yep. But it's also great at exposing our local productions, whether it be yeah. dance, whether it be Dubbo Theatre Company, drama, Absolutely. whatever it might be, being yeah, able yeah. to have all of this technology there to basically show off all the talents in the best yep. possible way. Well, I'd suggest the fact that uh, it's not just uh, the scenario right there now. It's not just going to be as good as anything you want to see nationally. This is going to be world-class stuff. Like You're going to put a million dollars worth of this intelligent lighting into there. Any theatre in the world would love to have access to that type of stuff. You are absolutely spot on. And already some other theatres have started talking to our staff at this theatre, asking them about that, how's it working, how mm. well is it going, just programming the whole light show yeah. in for a show that would actually run more or less automatically. And on top of all of that, LED 
good for power consumption as well because you think about the number of lights that are there, yeah. it's chewing up a fair bit of power with all those lights That's right. on. That's right. So again, our theatre is fantastic. It is a major tourist attraction. Over 30% of the tickets we sell are outside 2830. Mm-hmm. So great production capabilities, I suppose, there. Yes. And I think once people learn that it's there and learn how to take full advantage of it, yeah. even better. I think the next thing we need to do now is probably upgrade some of the audio. The mixing deck, for example, yep, that yep. was put in when we first put the theatre in. So that's yes. going back to 2010. Yes, things have definitely moved on since those days, I'm afraid. Yes. 13 years' yes. time. Again, we don't have the money for that at the moment. We'll mm. keep looking out for money in different grants and see what we can get there. But you could easily spend another half a million or more mm. on new audio in there. No one complains about the audio, but I think yeah. you could probably enhance it even further. Oh, it's just so wonderful to hear. I'll be thinking uh, probably, trying to put a bit of a time frame on this, maybe around about six months ago, we, we discussed the notion of that Dubbo's about to get whole new bus routes. These whole new bus routes in different uh, different spots around the city where different pickups are going to be and all those type of things and different destinations. Um, well, six months has elapsed and it looks as though it's all about to happen. So are we about to get new bus routes in Dubbo? We are indeed. This okay. is part of the 16 regional cities bus rollout program. And I spoke at the launch. We had the Honourable Jenny Asherson, MP, the Minister for Regional Transport and Roads, at the launch here in Dubbo. And I spoke at the launch and I said, growing up in Dubbo, and even now, Hmm. you got to different places by car, by bike, or by foot. That that was really pretty much it. That's right, yes. I don't think... It doesn't come to front of mind if I, for example, had my car in to replace the tyres on it and I haven't got access to my car for a day. Mm. I'd probably get my bike out. I might walk places. Mm. It doesn't come to the front of mind to go, why don't you go and get on a bus? And that's probably because the bus routes in Dubbo aren't good enough or haven't been good enough in the past to give me reliable access to buses in areas where I know I can get on and off conveniently. Mm. And there's no doubt about it that if you lived in Dubbo, in fact, if you lived in most regional locations, you're severely hampered if you don't have a car. Mm. If you're relying on other people to get you around or walking or riding, especially as Dubbo grows, it might have been yeah. okay when Dubbo was a bit smaller, but now you go as far as Keswick, mm. you go west, we're developing a lot along Manor yes. Road there. Yes. It's staying to grow more and more. So if I lived in Keswick and I had a friend that lived over near the golf course, yep. come over and visit me, I don't have a car, well, it's a bit of a challenge to get there. It's a fair mm. way to go. Mm. So this rollout across, again, 16 regional cities, I think is a good move. Yep. I think the numbers will be low to begin with. I yep. think the usage will be low, but I'm convinced the state government is going to stick with this because they'll be subsidising it initially. They're going to stick with this, hopefully, till people get used to the idea that there are buses they can catch mm. in a convenient way. So I suppose two questions in regards to that. Are we going to see more bus routes established? And, and secondly, are we going to see more buses on the road? We will see more buses on the road, and there are more bus routes. Okay, the you can go and look online and see where those various bus routes are. There's more bus stops. We've talked about that yes. before. So yes, you'll have more flexibility and options around that, and you might see more people using buses. And it almost feels like Dubbo's growing up a bit as a city. Hmm. The fact that we're going to have public transport, because when you and I were growing up, public yeah. transport wasn't a thing you did. You caught That's it right. to school. Maybe I used to ride my bike to school, but yep. many people caught a, a bus to school. But it wasn't something you thought of. Whereas in Sydney, if you're going to visit it, someone, yeah, yeah. it's just, oh, I'm catching public transport. It's That's buses right. or it's trains. It's a normal reaction to get from A to B in Sydney, but it's mm. not in a regional location. Mm. Volunteers. 
Um, something that, uh, again, and I've done a lot of over the years, volunteering. During the week, there were some awards given out to uh, some of our locals for uh, their volunteering efforts um, by an organisation. Not quite sure who the organisation is. You might be able to help clarify that a bit for us. But just in general, Matt, uh, do you have any stats in regards to what the volunteer numbers are like here in Dubbo? Are we increasing our volunteer uptake or are we going backwards? Well, one of the things I've always been proud of is that the volunteering rate in Dubbo has been higher than both the state average and the national average. Is which, that right? Yeah, okay. yeah which is, is great. That, is that based on a bit of hearsay or is that based on some no, no, this statistical is out evidence? Of the census. And I'll, I'll give you that in a minute. But I'll just oh, from the census, okay. So that's I'll, genuine. I'll answer your first question first, hmm. which is that the award ceremony that I was at was the New South Wales Volunteer of the Year Awards, and it's a program run by the Centre for Volunteering. So okay. that's a, a peak body for volunteering in New South Wales. And right. It's always good to go to along to an awards event like this because yep. you just get to see people that are doing some great things. So, a couple of local people got awards. Obviously well, it from was, things, it was the Irana region, this particular one. Ah, so there okay. were people. There were some number of people that won awards, but also around the whole region. Yeah, nice. But I did actually mention at the ceremony. I, I had to deliver a short speech there. I did deliver at the ceremony and say that. We do very well in Dubbo, and I knew it was slightly wider than Dubbo, so I actually looked at the Dubbo electorate rather than just the Dubbo city. Mm. Obviously, Dubbo city makes up the majority of that electorate. Dubbo and Wellington, I think, make mm. up 50% of the electorate, which then includes Narromine and Mudgee as well. But yeah. it has gone down. So I had good news and bad news for everyone in the okay. room. I said Dubbo still leads New South Wales and Australia in volunteering. Yep. But it has gone down. So again, based on what census figures? Yeah. So I looked at the last three census figures. Now, our listeners can't see this, but I've got a little graph that I can show you. There, oh, it's it's a very which, pretty graph, by the way. Listeners, shows, I can tell you, there's a blue line, there's a <laughs> silver line, and there's an orange line, and it's it looks like someone sitting there with a knee, and it's sitting downward. So I'm, I'm assuming. That's a situation where people that also says volunteering rates of people aged over 15, and I have to tell you, it's all going down. Well, it is going down. Dubbo's still on top, though. Yes, Blue's on top. That's us. If I give you a bit of an idea, back in the 2011 census, Mm. the volunteering rate for people in the Dubbo electorate was 22%. 22%? Okay. What year was that, sorry? That was in the 2011 census. Okay. Yep, yep. By the 2021 census, 10 years later, Mm. that volunteering rate for the Dubbo electorate was down to 15%. Yeah, right. Okay. So that's... So it's dropped. That's significant figure in its own right. If I look at New South Wales and I look at Australia, in 2011, it was 16.9% for New South Wales, Mm. 17.8% for Australia. Mm. So again, both lower than the 22% for Dubbo. Yeah. And then in 2021... It was, in New South Wales, 13%. In Australia, 14.1%. Again, both lower than the 15% for Mm, Dubbo. mm. So it has gone down. And I did pose a question on my social media sites the other day. I actually posted that graph Mm. and actually said volunteering rates have gone down. Do you know why? Can you guess why? And some people suggested COVID might have had a little bit to do with it. Mm. Having said that, 2021... When you answer the question in the census, it talked about your volunteering in the last year. Mm. So it might have been impacted by COVID. Maybe people feel like they're busier now. I'm not sure the exact reason why. I still like the fact that Dubbo is higher mm. than the state or the nation. And that says to me we've got a good, strong community, a community that's focused on good outcomes for fellow citizens. Mm. But I, I would love to get it back up to around that 22%. Oh, because it's such an important part of the community, isn't it? The, the, have the community volunteers. So many of the operations that we've spoken about on many occasions, uh, they, they need the volunteers there to make these organisations run. 
you are absolutely spot on. And we did a calculation years ago. We did a calculation that said, mm. what would it cost council if we had to pay all the people that volunteered just for council? Oh, Forget okay. about overall. Yep. What would it be for council? Now, this is back in Davos city council days. Mm-hmm. And it was several hundred thousand dollars. If we just used a base $10 per hour, which obviously you, you can't pay people that mm. smaller rate now, but if you mm. said $10 an hour, it ended up being somewhere in the vicinity of about $500,000. Wow. There you go. For the cost. So I did say to groups of volunteers back at a function where I revealed that figure, mm. I said that would be the equivalent of a several percent rate rise. So next yeah. time anyone in this room is out there talking to friends, maybe having coffee, get them to pay for the coffee because you've just saved them a several percent yeah. rate rise. Do you reckon there's anything that we could do possibly as, as a council to uh, to help improve and to raise these these figures again? It's a good question. I think I'd want to know why the figures have dropped first before I could say I've got a solution to put in place. We can encourage people to volunteer. We can encourage people to get involved in mm. volunteering. But I, I really want to understand that why. It may have been COVID. The next census mm. might be back up to normal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because the next census in 2026, hopefully we're well and truly past any COVID hangover. Yeah. Maybe this is a bit of a blip, but I just think it'd be... I really want to know why. I really understand why. I don't yeah. know that answer yet. Now, the Nabo Workplace Hub. Now, this has been something that we have discussed, and I remember the last time we discussed this, uh, both you and I were very, very disappointed by what we had read uh, from the state government news release on this um, in regards to the nature of this hub. But I'm reading here, Matt, that there might be a bit of a change um, and a potential. There's been some update that's happened here in regards to this. So, again, let's just update the listeners. What is this Dubbo Workplace Hub? And secondly, has there been a change again to potentially what we're going to see here. So the Workplace Hub, I'm going to go way back to 2013. Okay. There was a... When volunteer numbers were really going well. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there was a decentralisation task force. I actually presented to the task force and there was a report that came out. One of the options that I put to that task force was a, an option that I called a CATO, a Combined Agency Teleworker Office. Mm. Don't move whole departments to regional areas, move people from departments that want to go regionally Mm. to regional areas. Like a decentralisation sort of thing. That's right. Now, the logic I put forward then was that if I can sit in front of a computer and have a telephone, whether I'm sitting at 52 Martin Place in Sydney Mm. or I'm sitting in Carrington Avenue in Dubbo, I can still do my job because so much of that is relying on me having a computer and a telephone. Mm. Mm. If I'm paid the same wage in Sydney working for a government department as I'm in Dubbo, Mm. then I'm way better off because cost of living, cost of housing yeah. is better. The commute time is better. So lots of advantages there. So this was 10 years ago you proposed this. That's right. Right. And in addition to that, there's a magic little line that goes through somewhere east of Dubbo. Right. And when a government employee is working past that line, I don't know if it's every government department, mm. but certainly the majority that I know of, mm. if you go past that line, you get an extra week of holidays. Do you now? Yeah. Does that apply to teaching? Well, if you're a... Government teacher, no, because you get enough holidays already. <laughs> <laughs> you say that. I don't. I don't know. It's. I know it applies to things like police. I yes. know it applies to things like government employees in some of these government departments. Okay. It may apply with different awards. Yeah. But essentially, here I am sitting in Martin Place. I'm earning my X dollars per year, hmm. paying for some ridiculous multi-million dollar house. I've got to commute forty-five minutes or an hour to work each day. Hmm. Someone says, "Hey, would you like to move out to Dubbo?" Hmm. Get the same wage, mm. have housing costs less, yep. 
have a five-minute commute to work, and by the way, we'll give you an extra week's holiday. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to jump at Absolutely. that? It sounds fantastic. I'm with you. So that was back in 2013. Mm. The recommendation came forward, and not much happened with it until we had a pandemic, mm. and people realised they could Can work remotely. So yeah, they started yeah. working remotely from home in Sydney, and then people realised they could work from home remotely. Mm. Mm. So in May this year, it was announced by the state government, and work had been done by the previous government, that the government office block in Carrington Avenue was going to be transformed in what they called a workplace hub. Yep. There was somewhere around 26 different government sites in Dubbo where there were basically, you might have yep. had a small building with a few government employees in there. And the whole idea of this was to remove all of those sites or most of those mm. sites, there might have been some that had specific needs, but most of those sites around Dubbo put them into one workplace hub that building in Carrington Avenue was going to be demolished. Yep. A new building, bigger and better, 700 employees, fantastic, happy Sounded days. Sounded perfect. Sounded great. I, I love the idea. But, the, but then they turned around and said, that's not going to be the case. That's right. The plans were approved back in May, and yep. they said, we're going out to tender. They'd allocated $48 million in their budget to go to tender with that. Yep. They went out to tender, and we saw, so from May to August, another announcement came out that said, actually, you know what? Sorry, it's guys. a bit dear. Mm. Tenders came in a bit too expensive. We're going to just do a bit of a refurb on this, mm. and they were cutting back the number of employee numbers quite dramatically. Yeah, that's right. And that was the big thing, wasn't it? Both you and I were very concerned about, but the number of 700 suddenly got slashed back to 400 or something. I can't think exactly what the number was, but it was significantly less than the initial figure. Yeah, exactly right. And one of the things that made it a bit confusing for everyone was they didn't then talk about exactly how many jobs had been slashed back to. Mm. They did talk about 440 jobs would be supported during construction, but that's nice but you want people there long-term. During construction, is only a minor part. That's a little sugar hit, mm. but you want it long-term. And so we talked about it. We talked about it. The numbers being dropped. That's a bit disappointing because it made sense. And if I put on my regional cities, New South Wales hat for a second, yep. at regional cities, in meetings there with our 15 cities and various ministers, we'd actually said, this is a really good thing. You're doing yep. it in Coffs Harbour. You're doing it in Dubbo. Please keep rolling it across all the regional cities. We love the idea. Yeah. I was talking to a media outlet one day when I found out about this and I actually said it's a bit disappointing and I don't like having conversations with anyone via the media, in particular ministers via the media. Mm. So I did say on that interview that I would certainly send off a letter to the two ministers that I thought were the most relevant ministers, mm -hmm. uh, Minister Camper and Minister Moriarty, Tara so Moriarty. one was for Infrastructure New South Wales, wasn't it, or something like that? Yeah. One was our Minister for Regional New South Wales and yep. Western New South Wales. The other one, Minister for Lands and Property. Mm -hmm. So that was Steve Camper in this particular mm -hmm. scenario. So that went off a letter and I did the right thing and said, here's my disappointment with what's happening yep. and here's where I think this could continue to go and I'd love to see you change your decision. I didn't really expect a decision change to come, but I thought that's my job mm. to represent the views yep. of the community on that. Now, I got a letter back from Minister Camper, very nice, okay. and went through and explained that things were happening and the budget had actually been increased to $58 million. Oh, but, but so the initial figure was $48 million. Yep. They, they, they turned around and said, no, 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 we need to sort of cut all this back. And now they've come back and said it's actually $58 million. So they've increased the figure. But the tenders came in a lot dearer. Right. So the tender, the $58 million still didn't cover the tender. That was to cover the refurb of the building. So I took that and went, well, I sent a letter off. That's fine. In the letter, it actually said, if you want to discuss this further, here's a government employee mm. that's basically managing this whole project. So that government employee happened to be in town this week. Yeah, right. Let's have a discussion. Again, I, I know he doesn't have the power to change the decision. That was really the minister's decision. Yeah. Could they find any extra money to go ahead with the original plan? Yes, no, maybe. 
no was the answer, so they had to continue on with the refurb idea. So I did say that, yes, I'd sent off the letter, he'd already seen the letter, and went through and talked about it, and then he said to me, well, we are still going to house the original number of employees. And I went, what? Oh, hold on, I don't understand this. So wait a minute, so, so are they going back to the 700 now? They were never changing from the 700. Well, why did they say that then at the start? Well, this is the thing. This particular employee said that in the information that was fed through various departments, various media teams, by the time it got out to the public, the information about the number of employees being retained had been stripped out. I'm guessing here that maybe it won't be 700, maybe it'll be 698, maybe it'll be very close to 700. So they're worried about putting a set figure down or something, were they? That's my guess. Okay. Because I went, well, this is fantastic news. The whole point was that we wanted all those employees, we wanted the other sites around Dubbo to be consolidated, we wanted people to be attracted to Mm. move to Dubbo from their job in Metro Sydney Mm. and say, I'm going to keep doing that job from Dubbo. So it's a good news story in terms of it hasn't changed the number of employees. Yeah. Sure, we'd like it to be a knockdown building and build again, but whatever, that's your decision to make. So they're the going government. to refurb now Carrington Avenue. They're going to maintain the figure of around about that 700, and they're going to move all the departments into the one building to Pretty create much. this central hub. Is that, is, that, is that a fair enough assessment of what they're still going to do? It's still going to be the double workplace hub, okay. and what you've said is pretty well spot on. Okay. So the only change really is rather than knock it down and build it again, they're going to refurb the existing building to okay. get the same outcomes. And, and when's this going to happen? I think they're basically doing the planning for it now. So, oh, right, okay. So the planning, they'll have to put another DAN for these changes. They're looking at putting another floor on top. So in general, it's basically steaming ahead. Yeah, right, okay. Yes. So I suppose that down the track, we'll save for another time with the podcast, but we can talk about maybe what council's role is going to be in regards to this, for potentially maybe things like parking and uh, I know accessibility of sites and stuff like that. So we won't be the regulatory authority that will approve the DA. We, we didn't approve the last DA. That went because it was government and large enough that went through a state significant development process. Yep. Well, the Western Regional Planning Panel would have been the approval or, or the regulatory authority that approved that. So essentially that'll happen again with the changes they'll make with this hmm. time around. So in terms of our involvement, it will be minimal. Yep. But the community involvement, fantastic. So it hmm. does show the value of just sending off that letter, having a communication yeah, with the minister. Congratulations. Well done. You got a response. Well, got a response. It didn't change the outcome. Mm. The outcome was always going to be good, but at least we now know and understand what's well, happening. Well, you clarified it, at least, didn't you? That's right. Absolutely. It's time now for sport. I always like to sort of uh, finish up our podcast with a last little discussion here about our sporting section. And sport this week, folks, is about... Uh, the annual medical students versus the hospital. I refer to them as doctors charity cricket game. So this is a a matchup where uh, some of our medical students catch up with some of the hospital staff and probably in particular the doctors for a charity cricket game. So did you get a call up at number three to bat or what happened? They did actually ask me to participate in the game and I just happened to be away on that day. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have done that. I remember filling in for some Friday night T20 games. It was a competition on a few years ago. Are you a cricketer? I used to be, but I'm a bit older now than uh, I was. Still got what, a bit of a off-spin bowler with a right-hand batting, sort of uh, average of 46 or something? Uh, opening batsman I was, um, yeah, because I was very stodgy and slow, so they said you can open the batting, you're not flashy. and, and uh, Stodgy you know. and slow are two words I've never would have put in a sentence with your name in front of it. <laughs> well, conservative, I suppose, oh, maybe okay. about that. And leg-spin bowling that spun like an off-spinner. Oh, so okay, there that you sound? go. Oh, like yeah. a googly. Well... <laughs> I think that was my only delivery was a googly. It so was, yeah, yeah. I tell people I was a leg spinner, so they expect you didn't to spin know what you were bowling either. Sort of thing it was all a bit random. Well, look, sometimes I'd get occasionally get someone out, and they'd say I was surprised by that delivery, and I said I was too. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's just an annual event these guys do, or? They have been doing it as an annual event. Yeah. I think, well, let's go back a step. The exciting part about this is we've got medical students here in Dubbo. Yes. That's something that not everyone knows. We've had the four-year medical degree, postgrad medical degree that Sydney University has, right. has had year three and year four students in Dubbo for over two decades now. Mm. Mm. But we also started two years ago taking in the whole four-year medical degree. So we've now got the students that are at second year, mm. 24 students at first year, 24 students at second year. So, so exciting, isn't it? It is. We've got all these medical students here in town. So in two more years, mm. we'll end up with 96 students across the four years so here in Dubbo. Yeah. But they're trying to get more involved in the community. I've been encouraging them. There's a few things that I've done in the past. Yep. I do a few things with them to try and encourage them to get out there. I just want people to know in Dubbo that we've got university students at CSU and at the University of Sydney. That are doing medicine. Well, the, they're not all doing medicine. CSU students aren't, obviously. No, no, I mean, but in this but case, University here, we're City, talking about that. Yeah, right, yes. In two years' time, those numbers will build up to 96 doing medicine. Fantastic. Yeah, We've got unreal. some research projects we're going on that we talked about last week. We've also got CSU students studying a range of different things. So I want people to know that we've got those students out there, mm. which is fantastic. They do this match as a fundraiser for Macquarie Homestay. Oh, that's nice. And again, this one this year, the 14th of October, again, I happen to be away that day, but 14th of October, mm. the day of the referendum, so it's a nice, easy day oh, to okay, remember. Yeah, oh, so it hasn't actually happened yet. It's just no, no, it's up. coming up. Right. 6 p.m. on the 14th of October. Yep. And they're trying number to Number one work, oval. Number one oval, yep. yeah. They're yeah, trying to work out ways go. to get more people involved. I'd love to see lots of spectators down there. Yeah, yeah. And it is... Technically, the medical students versus hospital staff, but it ends up being the medical students versus the doctors. Yes. So these are people that are trying to be mentors to them, trying to guide them through their medical degree, but then... Marking their assignments possibly as well. They might have to sort of think about, okay, no, he's not out, sir. That's I'm not, right. not, not going to appeal right. for that one. <laughs> I want to take this catch or maybe just drop That's this right. catch. Oh, sorry, he dropped it. <laughs> so it's a good event. And these sort of little things that start off as a little fun event, in 20 or 30 years' time, it'll mm. be, oh, the traditional grudge match. Yeah, it'll be something great. that will certainly develop further and further. But I think they're looking at ways, and I had a, a meeting with a couple of students, and I stole a term off them, they're going to metify the event. Because they're talking to me about different ideas. Metify. Metify. Metify the event. Ooh, okay. And it talked about ideas of how we might bring more people from the community in and get them involved as mm. spectators. Mm. And I talked about the idea of, well, take advantage of what you've got. Your unique selling proposition in this scenario is you've got a bunch of medical students, a bunch of doctors involved. How can you do things that might attract people? Can you do some free checkups, free blood pressure checkup yeah, yeah. or whatever? Have a bit of fun with it. That's and, right. And that's right. And so one of the students said, oh, yeah, we could metify the event. I went, I'm going to steal that term now because I love the idea. <laughs> I still idea have no it. idea what metifying means. But anyway. Well, I think it was just mean? a – well, nothing Boosting in particular – Taking what you might do and adding a medical twist to it would be oh, the definition. Oh, medify, as in medify. M-E-D. Oh, yeah, okay, medify. Yes. Medify yeah, it. Yeah, oh, right, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, uh, when the medical student said it, I think it was just a, a term of, well, how can we add a medical twist to this? Yes, so yes. Let's take that, oh, that as the definition. that makes perfect sense. What yeah, a great yeah. idea. I love so it. I like it. So that'll happen on the 14th of October. You'll have voted in the referendum that day. Yep. You'll be keen to do something that night and 6pm on that day or that night there'll be something there happening and there'll be lots of things activities around they're also trying the students are trying to get family members to come along on that day from wherever they might live in Australia so one of the students I talked to lives in WA so he's trying to get his parents and family across from WA for that weekend show Dubbo off so again these little traditions will start to grow and grow that's how it happens Well, mate, another big program for our 50th. Uh, So it's time, of course, for the Limerick of the Week. So many things to talk about, but I couldn't help myself around the next year, mayor again, council, lots of fun, amazing things that we'll look at and try and make a difference with. So 
encapsulating all that in all limerick, this is what it sounds like. Excellent. Fire away. Dubbo's mayor and deputy are very keen to continue the work on building the dream. Councillors will lend a hand to deliver a region that is grand, and next year voters will decide if we stay on the scene. Ah, nice work. Again, I think you've nailed it very, very well. Well, my friend, you've done wonderfully well to uh, get the mayoral job for again for another term, so congratulations again on that. Congratulations on our 50th podcast. We'll crack open the cake now and get into it. Everyone out there, have a wonderful week. Until next week, take care. Straight from the mayor's mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.